welcome to this week's episode of Fanfic Tales. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And this week we're going to be discussing all things Nightmare Before Christmas. That's right. So we will be doing like our general review, talking a little bit about the production history, and finally talking about some Tim Burton and Nightmare Before Christmas fan theories. So let's get it started. Yeah, of course. So the synopsis of The Nightmare Before Christmas is that it tells the story of Jack Skellington, the king of Halloween Town, who stumbles upon Christmas Town and becomes obsessed with celebrating the holiday. It was directed by Henry Selleck and was produced and conceived by Tim Burton. Music and lyrics are by Danny Elfman, and it came out in 1993. And I'll let you do the cast, Gabby. So the cast includes Chris Sarandon as the speaking voice of Jack Skellington, Danny Elfman himself as the singing voice of Jack Skellington and Beryl, Catherine O'Hara as Sally and Shock, William Hickey as Dr. Finkelstein, Glenn Shaddix as the mayor of Halloween Town, Ken Page as Oogie Boogie, of course, Ed Ivory as Santa Claus and the narrator as the st- at the start of the film, which I always assumed was Santa Claus narrating it. So that will be a fun fact, and it was really interesting to find out who they were considering to do the narration at the beginning. Hmm. Okay. Then we have Paul Rubens as Locke and Frank Welker as Zero. Yes. It was like... It was pretty much the full cast that I had to write down because everyone is kind of a lead. Yeah. Like, Shock, um, I rewatch it and Shock, Lock, and Barrel are so, like, important. They are. But that felt weird when you said it out of order. Yeah, it did. Shock, Lock, <laughs> lock and, Shock, and Barrel. Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Yeah. 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 Any other order is weird. Yeah. I was like, I, I know that this isn't the right order. No. So, some fun facts about the film is that filmmakers constructed 227 puppets to represent the characters in the movie, with Jack Skellington having around 400 heads, Mm -hmm. allowing every expression possible. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, And then the fact that I kind of hinted at the beginning was... Vincent Price, Don Amish, and James Earl Jones were considered to provide the narration for the film's prologue. Hmm. However, all proved difficult to be cast, and the producers instead hired local voice actor Ed Ivory. Patrick Stewart, however, provides the prologue narration for the film's soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah, I found that very interesting. I was like, I'm going to write this down. This is a crazy That's fact. That's interesting. And then our last fact is The Nightmare Before Christmas was only nominated for visual effects at the Academy Awards in 1994, and it lost to Jurassic Park. Yeah, for a good reason. Jurassic Park was really good. Yeah. So, Gabby, who's your favorite character? Um, I think my favorite character... I don't know. I love I Jack. think mine is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, so we're recording it on November 3rd, but on Halloween, I was Sally. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Sally is my girl. I love her. And I forget, like, because I, like, rewatched it for the first time in a while. She's so strong. I love her. Mm -hmm. She's great. 
for like breaking herself out and just like jumping out the window. Right? She just goes, yeet. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing that now. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your favorite song? I love What's This. I also love Sally's song. Me too. But I love What's This. Me too. What's I this? I just have like so favorite. many fond memories of um, the Osborne Lights. Rest in peace. We will discuss my thoughts and feelings about it in the Disney episode okay. for Christmas time. Okay. But it was a dancing light thing that they used to do at Hollywood Studios. Mm-hmm. And they did What's This as one of the dancing light things. That's And cool. I remember my last time ever going through Osborne Lights, that was the song playing when it was leave- when I was leaving it. So, like, that song just, like, has so many memories tied to it for me. What's This is definitely, definitely my favorite. I also love yeah. Kidnap the Sandy Claws, but the Corn oh. version. The what? The version by Corn, not by, not from the original soundtrack. Corn? Yeah. The, the I haven't band. heard this one. Yeah, oh. I haven't heard it. It's, it's bitchin'. It's really good. I'll send it to you. Yeah. It's really good. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just reading your notes, and I definitely agree with you about, if it's Deadly Nightshade, how did it wear off? Right? Okay. <laughs> like, he says, like, that's the third time you've put Deadly Nightshade in my soup this week. It's like, okay, hold on. So, <laughs> there are theories about how each one of the main characters in um, Nightmare Before Christmas died. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into his, but his kind of relates to why I think it's all right. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I just, I'm like, um, hello? <laughs> I also love, and I really miss, yeah, oh, we both put it down. Why does Halloween Town need a king and a mayor? mayor? And a mayor, right? Lame. Like, <laughs> what does the mayor do that the no, king seriously. can't do? If he's only an elected official, like, why is he needed? <laughs> like, I know, he like, that? he's like, I can't yeah, I'm only an elected, elected official. official. It's like, I okay. can't make decisions by myself. Yeah, it's like, okay, so why are you even here in the first place? Why do you need both of them? The, what? Yeah. Ugh. Lame. Okay, and I also love how we both put for Boogie's voice, um, Shock's a girl. Yeah. I'm like, uh, hello? Um, and then the other thing was, I was just, like, taking a note of each one of the tree doors. Mm. No better way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And there's um, Christmas Town, Halloween Town, of course. But then the other ones make no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Town. What's going on there? Everybody is in love all the time. <laughs> Only couples live there. Thanksgiving Town. I I was just like, this is kind of weird. I don't know how I feel. Everybody weighs a million pounds, and all they eat is turkey and stuffing. <laughs> I would love that existence. Honestly, I feel like after a while you'd have to switch to some sides. But I would be yeah. down to eat turkey and potatoes for like. I'd be so a down while. to eat my um. On my mom's side of the family, my grandmother has this stuffing recipe with, like, sausage and all that in it. Mm-hmm. I would be down to eat that for every day of the year. Yeah. 
but I don't yeah. because it's such a Thanksgiving thing. Mm-hmm. No, St. Patrick's love... Day as well. St. Patrick's Day town. It had a little shamrock on the door. Everybody just wears green. I was like, that's it. It's green. I was Everything like, Christmas, Halloween, elves. and Easter kind of makes sense. I like when they kidnap the Easter bunny and he jumps out and then the one guy scares the crap out of it and he jumps back in the thing and Jack's so apologetic. He's like, I'm so sorry, sir. Take him back! Like, yeah. zero to a hundred real quick. Yeah. I don't know why I said you say it again, Jack. What? I don't know what that was in reference to and I'm very confused. Okay. I'm just um, reading my notes. I also love oh. how I just start quoting it in the beginning. Like, if you look at my notes in the beginning, it's just me quoting <laughs> the movie. Phone daddy. We both made a comment about that. Because it's, it's like, that's where it came from. And people are like, why do people say it? Because it's in the freaking movie. That's why. And the funniest thing is, I don't, I don't know if you've watched it, but um, I forget the name. I think it's called Practical Folks is their YouTube channel, but they used to do Drunk Disney, and they would do, like, um, like drinking games for each Disney film. And they did this one mm-hmm. with Leo Camacho as mm-hmm. the guest, mm-hmm. and they made such a reference to Bone Daddy, and then they were, like, doing it to other characters, and were, like, Dr. Daddy, and, like, everything in the voice for different characters. <laughs> So, like, every time I watch this movie, I think of that drunk Disney episode. That's amazing. I did want to point out, before we move on, there's an orange snake in Halloween Town that looks like an orange sandworm. I meant to make that note because I was like, Beetlejuice much? Yeah, and it comes up a few times. It comes up in Halloween Town, and then it comes up in um, Jack's Christmas, too. Yeah. Like... There's a there's one of them that's like eating a present while Santa Claus is like yeah. fixing everything. I was like, well, in a note that I almost put down that I didn't for one of the fun facts is Catherine O'Hara, so Sally and Shock. Mm-hmm. She was Delia in the original Beetlejuice mm-hmm. movie. Hmm. I didn't like know that. this wasn't her first film working with um, Tim Burton. Of course, cause. You know Tim Burton. He likes to recycle the same people over and over and over again for every movie. Yeah, I just found it interesting because it said that, like, they had worked together on Beetlejuice. And I was like, mm-hmm. who was she on Beetlejuice? Mm-hmm. It's like, you weren't Lydia. Well, yeah. But no, like, that's likes, Winona Ryder. He likes recycling people. We're looking at you, Johnny Depp Johnny and Depp Helena and Bonham Helena Carter. Carter. Um, but yeah. <laughs> also, okay. Speaking of when Santa fixes Christmas, the puppy that he gives that little boy is low-key kind of oh terrifying. I'm so glad you put that down. It was like... <laughs> I was like, whoa, hold on. Also, I agree. She struck him with a needle, but he's bone. Yeah, she accidentally hits him with a needle, and he goes, ow! But it's like, he's made out of bone. He can't feel that. It's He's bone. <laughs> it's like, what in Good the world? soup. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, have you not seen that TikTok? I have, that's why I'm laughing. Mmm, good soup. Oh, oh I need to get the Rotten Tomatoes score up. It's too late for us to be starting this right now, you guys. We it's can't fine. Tell we're both kind of crazy. For different so reasons. Gabby. But, 
Yeah. Um, you have a favorite moment? I mean, we've kind of been talking about kind favorite of. moments. Um, my favorite moment, actually, I have a few. One of them okay. is I love when Santa gets shoved down the chute and the rivets <gasps> pop out. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really funny. Um, I also think it's hilarious when the mayor goes, has anybody thought to dredge the lake? And then the vampire is like, yeah, we did that this morning. <laughs> I don't know. I love that so too. Um, I also just love the werewolf calling out um, one of my favorite moments. And I like made a reference to it on my uh, Instagram story when I was watching it. But um, the mayor goes something about how we have 365 days to plan for next Halloween. And the werewolf just yells out, 364! <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Oh, no. One. No, yeah. but yeah, like, I think that's, I think that's it. I think those are it. Um, I think my favorite moment, though, is definitely when, like, Sally and Jack, we, when we first really see them interact together, when she makes him that dinner. Yeah, that one's, that's sweet. That's a good moment. Yeah, I don't like when Jack isn't listening to Sally. Though. No, that's, that's my so annoying. Moment. I'm just like Jack, listen to her. Yeah, every single time. So is that your least favorite moment? Yeah. Okay. What moments? Because there's multiple. Yeah. Um, I think my least favorite. Don't get me wrong. I love the Oogie Boogie song, and I love that character, and I love the whole thing, but like. I don't know, the sequence before it, or, like, the sequence after when um, Sally goes to save Santa Claus. Yeah. I don't really like that bit. Oh, really? Yeah, I also don't really like, well, okay. It's not my favorite, but I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just it's not my favorite. And then I also really don't like when Jack is getting shot out of the sky. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, like, I ow. from, like... He is Santa Claus to, like, let's murder him in, like, yeah. five seconds. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like, hold on. <laughs> let's take a breather for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. My fridge was making weird noises, so I was pushing okay. stuff up against the <laughs> door. What would you rate this film out of ten? Okay. And I already have Rotten Tomatoes up. Diehard nightmare fans out there, don't kill me. So me, at a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I give it a 9.5. Okay, that's still good. 9.5, not my favorite. It's not like, okay, I do love this movie, but I like Corpse Bride just a little bit better. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I feel like people either like Corpse Bride better or Nightmare better. Yeah, I like Corpse Bride just a little bit better not by a lot like it's like pretty close and like i have a nightmare before christmas tarot card deck and i have like four nightmare before christmas sweatshirts and like three t-shirts and it's like it's not like i don't like it i love it it is great but i just like corpse bride just a little bit better yeah so what do you think the Rotten tomatoes critics and audience score is i think audience score is like 98 okay i think critic score like 85 okay 
you want to know the critics and audience score? Yeah. So the critic score is a 95% on the tomato, um, tomato meter. Okay. And then the audience score is a 91%. Wow. Out of 250,000 plus ratings for the audience Not score. Not what I was expecting. And the, um, the critic score had 100 reviews. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, they did, and we'll get into it a little bit, but it did definitely, like, production history was crazy for this. So maybe we should get into it, because I'm like, whoa, what are these scores? How are these scores what they are? Let's figure it out. Yeah. So I kind of broke this up into, like, what I learned on Wikipedia and what I learned on the show Prop Culture. Cool. Weirdly enough, because Prop Culture was interesting. We'll get into that, though. Okay. So... The development was very long. Like, it started in 1982, the development for Nightmare Before Christmas. The film came out in 93. It started in 82. Wow. (laughs) And we'll get more into that with prop culture, but yeah. So, as a writer, Tim Burton's upbringing in Burbank, California, was associated with the feeling of solitude, and the filmmaker was largely fascinated by holidays during his childhood. And after completing his short film, Vincent, in 1982, Burton, who was then employed at Walt Disney Feature Animation, wrote a three-page poem titled The Nightmare Before Christmas, drawing inspiration from television specials of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas. That totally makes sense. And we'll get a little bit more into the original pitch later. That really makes sense, though. (laughs) Yeah. I totally it does. see it. <laughs> um, as Disney was unable to offer his nocturnal loners enough scope, Burton was fired from the studio in 1984 and went on to direct the commercially successful films Beetlejuice and Batman. Over the years, Burton regularly thought about the project of Nightmare Before Christmas. In 1990, Burton found out Disney still owned the film rights. And he and Selleck were committed to produce the full-length film with, um, with the latter as director. Burton's own success with live-action films piqued the interest of Walt Disney Studios chairman Jeffrey Kat- um, Katzenberger, who saw the film as an opportunity to continue the studio's streak of recent successes of feature animation. Think about what was happening in the early 90s late 80s we were getting little mermaid and beauty and the beast and it was the start of the disney renaissance because little mermaid came out in 1989 (laughs) and then um disney was looking forward to nightmare to show capabilities of technical and storytelling achievements that were present in who framed roger rabbit Walt Disney Pictures president David Hoberman believed the film would prove to be a creative achievement for Disney's image, elaborating, we can think outside the envelope, we can do different and unusual things. And Nightmare marked Burton's third consecutive film with a Christmas setting. Burton could not direct because of his commitment to Batman Returns, and he did not want to be involved with the painstakingly slow process of stop motion. 
I honestly don't blame him. Stop motion takes the freaking ever. And then filming, there's only three little bullet points for this. Selleck and his team of animators began production in July of 1991 in San Francisco, California, with a crew of over 120 workers utilizing 20 sound stages for filming. Joe Ranft, Ranft? Yeah, R-A-N-F-T, so. was hired from Disney as a storyboard supervisor, while Eric Layton was hired to supervise animation. And at the peak of production, 20 individual stages were simultaneously being used for filming. In total, there were 109,440 frames taken for the film. Yep, I believe it. 100% believe it. I Stop motion's just fascinating to me. Stop motion is incredibly, incredibly painstakingly long. I know, and it's crazy that that's, like, what the original um, Rankin and Bass Christmas special, so the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Santa Claus is coming to town, all those mm-hmm. guys, that's what it was. Frosty the Snowman. Yeah. It's crazy. The second Rudolph movie with the girl, I don't remember what that one's called. With the girl? Yeah, wasn't there another, there's two. There's two well, there's... reindeer and another one. <laughs> well, no, she's in the first one. Is she in the first one? Yeah, she's she's the love interest. Claire, right? Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen those okay. movies since I was like a little kid. Well, luckily we're watching them for the podcast. Oh, gosh. Good thing I have them on DVD. <laughs> yeah. So now on to the notes that I found from the show Prop Culture. So for those of you who do not know, Prop Culture is a Disney Plus original show which follows Dan Lanigan, who is a collector of props and movie artifacts as he revisits some of Disney's classic titles, some ranging from Mary Poppins in the 60s to more current ones like The Nightmare Before Christmas. And he looks at them through the lens of how the props helped to shape and create their most magical moments while talking to actors, directors, and designers that were involved in the project. It's really interesting. They did a Narnia one, and they brought back three of the four kids, mm-hmm. and they We've showed them their first on times. stage. And yeah. yeah. But this one was really interesting, because it talked about, like, the different stop-motion events. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Um, so, yeah. So, Rick Heinrichs. Heinrichs? Heinrichs. I don't know. Heinrichs. Um, who was a visual consultant for The Nightmare Before Christmas and Tim Burton experimented in stop motion in the early 80s with Vincent. I don't know why I had as well as. There was probably another one. But, yeah. And originally, The Nightmare Before Christmas was pitched to be a half-hour TV special inspired by the Rankin and Bass Christmas specials. So, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Santa Claus, all those. And Dr. Seuss's the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original, the cartoon, animated one, the cartoon, yeah. the one where Cindy Lou who has the weird antlers. Yeah, and the initial reaction was like, "That's a cool idea," but no, because it was too weird, lame. But then you know, it ended up being made years down the line. Mm-hmm. 
And then one of the other things I found really interesting was they talked about the stop motion technique of replacement animation. And this is where different elements of the puppet is swapped out to simulate movement. So this could be anywhere from a mouth, a set of eyebrows, or a face. In the case of Sally, it was a face. They would like take off part of the head and put one in for each expression that she had to make. Yeah. But for Jack, it was just his whole head. Mm-hmm. They like show the like the puppet, one of the puppets they use, and they just popped off his head. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember reading that the reason that they just pop off Sally's face is because the wig was too complex to, like, keep remaking. And it was so specific. So they were just like, you know what? Face. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was all one piece, her hair. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, like, makes sense if you look at the film. Yeah. Because I watched the prop culture thing and then the film. Yeah. It was really interesting. And then the other thing I found interesting was there was only one draft ever made for the film. It was turned into Tim Burton to review it, and he had four notes in total to change. Wow. And one of them was, like, the music needs to be skeleton-y for, like, when they do the jingle bells. Oh, my gosh. And, like, to shorten a conversation between Dr. Finkelstein and Sally. Like, they showed his notes- and those were, like, two of the four. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was just like, wow. Like, and the woman who was the script writer for um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, she completely changed how Sally was. Because originally she was supposed to be kind of like, oh, what's the girl in um, Roger Rabbit? Oh, um... Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, Jessica Rabbit. She was supposed to be more, like, I don't want to say rambunctious, but, like, kind of more like a uh, like sultry? Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, like, sultry kind of character. Rambunctious is definitely not the right but word. But then the scriptwriter was like, I know. I'm tired. We started this at almost midnight my time. It is almost yeah, midnight. Yeah, it's definitely not. <laughs> rambunctious is definitely not the word I think you're thinking of. I know. It's definitely sultry. It's, I'm tired. <laughs> it's fine. It's um, okay. But yeah, Sally was a lot more um, sultry in the original version of Nightmare. And the um, scriptwriter, I forget her name, but she was like, I don't relate to this character. I'm going to write her how... I see myself. And she wrote our girl Sally how she is now in the final script. Honestly And in good. the film. And her boyfriend at the time was Danny Elfman. And he hated the script. Like he read it over before she turned it into Tim Burton. And he was like, oh, he's not going to like it. And then Tim Burton was like, here's four notes. He was like, I love it. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. So Gabby. Should we move into some Tim Burton fan theories? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first one we're going to cover is how every character in Halloween Town in The Nightmare Before Christmas died. And this is from Tumblr user Tickles the Something. And this theory talks about each character. And it goes from, like, 
Jack to like um, lock, shock, and barrel to oogie boogie to zero to everyone in between. So let's get started. So Jack was burned yes, alive. Absolutely. Remember in the beginning how he stuck a torch in his mouth and we see the fire cover his body very fast, even for a body made of straw. Mm-hmm. And when you burn a human body for too long, all that's left is the bone. Everything else is gone. And then the next character of Sally, she literally has one bullet point. I love that for her. And she was dismembered. And the reasoning is she can fall to pieces and come back together. Mm -hmm. And then we get Dr. Finkelstein. Yeah. And then we get Dr. Finkelstein, who is poisoned in his past life. And it's been mentioned that Sally has poisoned him on several occasions. And while being dead, the poison doesn't affect him much. Except that if it were to be what had killed him, that would explain why he's always so, like, frustrated. Yeah. But he's already dead, so it's just, like, he gets knocked out. He just gets hung over. Yeah, he gets hung over. Basically, he gets drunk on it. Like, he gets knocked out, and then the next morning, he's hung over AF. Like, (laughs) get it, Dr. Finkelstein. Go, go. Okay, and then now we get into the mayor, who has a, who was, his neck was snapped. He has a broken neck. And the Tumblr user figures that the mayor was bipolar, which is supported by the mood change and the fact that he has two heads. And when he's happy, and then the slightest thing can tip the balance and he twists his head around to show the, like, angry, sad face on the other side. Whenever he's stressed, I love him. Um, mm-hmm. And then because, like, he just twists around his head to show the two sides, he fully twists his neck 180 degrees. No way, like, any other way that he died. 360 degrees. It goes one 360. way, and goes the same way. True. 360. So no way, like, he didn't die anything but... Yeah broken neck and then we get to lock shock and barrel who each one had a different one of course and what happened was um lock was frozen and he suspects it, or the user suspects it mainly because of um his lips and when people are frozen alive their lips turn blue and their face turns pale or even paste white and then um, the user also says that he chose his costume to be the devil, which usually revolves around something heat, showing a strong desire to be warm. And then this user suggests suicide for shock. And her lips are pretty much just pale, kind of a purple, which happens when you die of any cause aside from these three things, burning, freezing, and drowning. Which means that she died either a very natural death, which is very unlikely for a child, or she took her own life. Sad. Or it could be something else. It could be something else, but... Accident. An accident, something. 
but yeah, yeah maybe it could be something else maybe let's not jump to the like saddest conclusion ever just wait for Beryl no I know Beryl's is really freaking sad <laughs> so Beryl was drowned or he died by drowning and as the user said in Chalk's reasoning, when you are drowned, your lips change color. And they become green, in fact, and your hair has a slightly seaweed look to it. Just like barrels. Your body also doesn't decompose the same way in water, and the skin can, um, tends to cling more. Which is why Beryl chose his costume to be a skeleton. Perhaps an inner wish that he had been given a proper burial. And then Oogie Boogie was skinned, according to this person, this Tumblr user. And they suspect that because of his death, but because his body is sewn together around the edges and his skin is instead burlap and his innards are insects and insects are, um, are nature's cleaners. Perhaps he was skinned and then left in the ground, his innards. Ennards may be the very swarm of insects that devoured his skinned corpse. So in death, they had um, had to come together to allow his body to be whole. Being without skin, he needed something to hold it all together, and insects are large as, um, as large as his cannot get through tightly sewn burlap. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Also, I forgot to mention that they were not... Um, all the bugs that make up Oogie Boogie were not included in the puppet count for this film. Oh my god! I couldn't find one with the puppet count. <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot. But, like, they also weren't, like, individual bugs, I guess, because they weren't, like... A lot of them were, though, because they all break apart. But there were, like, a lot of them that were just, like, clumped. True. But I couldn't so. find a number with all the insects. I'm sure it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And and then our last Nightmare Before Christmas character um, that we will be discussing is Zero, who was electrocuted. My baby And boy. I know. My so love. the user suspects elect um, electrocution because the first thing that would leave coming out of the body is smoke. And the poor dog's mind would be just intact enough to see some of it and likely think along the lines of that's me now and seeing as zero's body holds a strong resemblance to smoke there's that i first suspected that he uh, the tumblr user first suspected that he was jack's dog that died with uh in the fire with him but he still thinks that it was jack's dog in real life as well in death but has come to the include the conclusion of electrocution because of his nose Look at it, it looks like a light bulb, and it lights, which would mean that he had to have some sort of electric, um, electricity coursing through him. I will say, though, his nose is a pumpkin. It's a jack-o'-lantern. I know. It's not a light bulb, it's a jack-o'-lantern. Which, I mean, obviously you have to take some creative liberties with it because it can't be, like, terribly morbid, but I, I just wanted to point that out. I think it's really cute. He has a little jack-o'-lantern nose. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my, so when I was um, in elementary school, we did all the, like, school shows kind of thing, mm -hmm. and we just, like, each grade had a different, um, like, time of year that they did it, and second grade was um, uh, 
Christmas and my grade we did Santa Goes Green which was all about like Santa going green and it was reduce reuse recycle and all those stuff that they tried telling us kids <laughs> and Rudolph's nose was one of those like twisty light bulbs I love it it was so cute <laughs> I was Raggedy Ann cute in the song that talked about all the different types of like electricity like the solar Water, all the wind, all those. Uh-huh. So, before we wrap it up tonight, I want to talk about the theory that connects Nightmare Before Christmas, Frankenweenie, and Corpse Bride all together. Yes. So, I love this theory. I love all. I love Corpse Bride. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. Don't come for me. I haven't seen Frankenweenie yet. It used to the thought of it used to scare me as a kid, so same. That's why I haven't seen it. I know it's on Disney Plus, so I might watch it, but I don't know. Let's get into this theory. So, we're gonna start off with Frankenweenie. So it all starts with Frankenweenie, and that's where we meet Victor, who's an intelligent but extremely shy boy who had like no friends, and his best friend was his dog Sparky. He loved science, and you know. He earned the admiration of his teacher who came to class. Sorry. He loved science and earned the, sorry, and earned the admiration of his teacher who came to class for Okay. So he loved science and he earned admiration from his teacher um, because of his peculiar way of explaining his theory about the power of lightning, electricity, and the human body. However, being such an intelligent child, um, this isolated more him more from society, and his father didn't share the same ideas, so he convinced him to get on a baseball team from school, so that way he could like become friends with some of the other kids his age and be like a normal, normal quote-unquote kid. Ah, one yeah. of those parents. Yeah. So, because of the pressure from his father at the baseball game, Victor threw a ball so hard that it flew out into the street and they didn't realize that his dog, Sparky, came out behind it. Unfortunately, while looking for it, a passing car hit him and killed Sparky. Uh. So this totally shattered Victor, and losing his best friend, um, like, just destroyed him. But thanks to science, he devised a plan, which was to revive his dog, Sparky, and it succeeds incredibly well. However, because of this, many colleagues discovered his experiment, and it brings problems to the life of the child when they try to do the same but reviving monstrous beings in the end sorry but but reviving monstrous beings rather than dogs <laughs> so in the end everything is solved but the sad thing is that sparky unfortunately passes away again and people get together and put the wires from a car battery to place them in the body of their dogs to pass energy to it and thanks to this the dogs gets up again and that's how the movie released in 2012 ended. However, the theory says that this wasn't really the end. After this, Victor furthered his studies and created many inventions, of which were failures, but one in particular was his greatest success, a time machine. Victor traveled to the past in the company of his dog, but on the way, something went wrong and his machine broke, taking him back several years and causing him to lose his memory along with a useless machine. 
His only memory was that his name was Victor and that he had a dog that he then decided to name Scraps. And he couldn't remember the dog's real name. So this is where we move on to Corpse Bride. So Victor is found by a couple of fishermen and he returns rich with great inventions. Sorry, hold on. Victor is found by a couple of fishermen and he returns rich with his great inventions. Since, in spite of everything, he followed his great love and wisdom for the sciences. With the passing of time, his pet dies and Victor grows up to become an adult with this same essence, loneliness. His adoptive parents forced him to marry to improve his social condition, a situation that Victor did not like very much. However, it's not so bad because he meets his future fiance Victoria, and ends up falling totally in love with her, which, as we've described and have explained, is like the OTP of the century. Oh, yeah. I love them. Right? <laughs> so Victor's cute. nerves and carelessness at the rehearsal ceremony do not allow him to do things right, and he ends up getting into a mess by transporting himself to the world of the dead, where he meets Emily and now meets his bony dog, Scraps. After a long adventure full of conflicts, Victor manages to help Emily and free her from her curse to finally be transferred to her eternal rest. Finally, Victor returns to the world of the living to fulfill his dreams, marry his beloved Victoria, and live the rest of their lives together. According to the theory, the following years, Victor was very happy and loved his wife Victoria, but after his experience in the kingdom of the dead, he was marked for life, and for that reason, he loved Halloween. As it reminded him of his best friend Scraps, who would wait for him in the underworld. On the other hand, his, his wife loved Christmas, and in spite of their differences, their love was so great that they both respected their preferences. Victor celebrated Halloween in a big way with Victoria, as well as she celebrated Christmas with him. Time passed, and the day arrived when Victor had to be separated by destiny from his wife. As he lost his life in a tragic situation on Halloween night, he was finally reunited with his best friend Scraps in the afterlife. And this is where we meet The Nightmare Before Christmas. So Victor loved, in life, loved Halloween so much that in the other world, he was chosen to be sent to Halloween Town, a place especially for all souls who loved this holiday and carry, out, carry it out in their eternal rest. He was sent with scraps since he refused to leave without him, only that, <laughs> since he refused to leave without him, only that before, I don't understand what this sentence is saying. Only that before leaving his memories had to be erased to wake up in this world and live a new life together. What? I have no idea what know. that means. Okay, so he was sent with scraps because he refused to leave with him. And the one condition was that his memories had to be erased and he had to wake up in this world and they lived a brand new life together. It was then when Victor took on the new identity, naming himself as Jack and his dog Scraps, formerly Sparky, as Zero. Jack became the king of Halloween because every night he showed his incredible passion for the celebration. However, soon, soon after, something inside Jack did not make him happy, and he realized something is missing, and that was the love of his life. Even Aww. though he doesn't remember anything about it, when Jack... When Jack knows about Christmas, he feels a great passion for this holiday because inside it reminds him of his beloved Victoria. And yes. that is why the film shows how he insists on bringing Christmas to Halloween Town. Even though all his fellow monsters oppose his plans, unconsciously Jack knew it was Victoria's favorite holiday. Returning to Victoria's life, month after, 
months after Victor's death, she too loses her life and is sent to the underworld where she hopes to be finally reunited with her beloved husband. Sadly, not finding him, she tries desperately to go to Halloween Town, where she hoped he would be there and see him again, but not sharing the same love for that date. She was denied by the greater forces to be sent. She then goes to a scientist who helps her through having her reincarnate in Sally's body. That's so cute. She doesn't remember anything about her past life either, but fate brought her to meet Jack. And as in the beginning, she ended up falling madly in love with him, not knowing that he was really her beloved Victor, the love of her life. The situations, adventures, and dangers that they live in this dark animated fantasy film make them come together again without even knowing that they always were. But this time for all eternity and not alone, but also accompanied by Victor's best friend. I love that. Right? And if y'all want to read that theory for yourself with all of the beautiful images, it's on, let's see, mundoseriesx.com. And the article is how Frank and Weenie, Corpse Bride, and The Nightmare Before Christmas are all connected. Yes. So shall we see them all in the outro? Yes, we will see you guys in the outro. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. Gabby, would you like to tell our lovely audience what we will be chatting about next week? Yeah, next week we're going to have some guests on and we're going to play some Family Feud. (laughs) (laughs) Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you think of the show. Remember to follow us on Instagram at FanFatalesPod for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram and TikTok are at SnippyEmma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at GabbyJen on Instagram, TikTok, and now Twitter. That's G-A-V-Y-J-E-N-T. Our music is by our amazing friend, Maddie Macon. And our editing is by the amazing and wonderful Carol Lensmeyer. As always, thanks for tuning in. Bye! Bye. The views expressed in this episode do not reflect the brand or company they're about. Bye.